This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show, The Wednesday Show. And John White, if you're out there, I miss you so much. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, life questions, anything and everything that's going on in your heart and mind. All you need to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-340. 9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use our uh, the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, the reason I mentioned John White, John is the voice that does our intro and outros on this program. I haven't seen John in a long time. I miss him, but I was laughing uh, with my producer when he was doing that introduction. And um, I don't know whether his sound just got me, but I miss him so much. But his voice is so golden, so rich and so deep. And I told my producer, I said, you know, somebody ought to put me in jail for using this old Winnie the Pooh voice to follow his voice on the air. But, John, we, we miss you. We love you. And believe it or not, you're still getting prayed for a whole, whole bunch. Hey, tonight uh, is our midweek Bible study, and I am teaching... As far as I can get, in Genesis chapter 31, uh, Laban and Jacob finally part ways. Uh, but boy, it's way more complicated that so long. I don't know how far I can get, but but it is uh, a Bible study that is, I hope, interesting. I hope I can make it interesting. But um, I, there's just a lot of rich application for us in these Old Testament studies and I am looking forward to doing it tonight. That's at 7 o'clock. You can live stream it at calvarysa.com. Or you can join us. We always have room on our midweek Bible studies, whether it's a Wednesday night or a Friday night. Let me get to... Oh, by the way, Paula is going to be with me tomorrow, live in studio. She's still hanging out with me. She hasn't quit me yet, so she'll be here on the date day edition of the program tomorrow at 4 o'clock. So, ladies, that is your show. Let me get the first couple of questions that have been sent. I got two questions that were sent in yesterday, very nearly at the same time. And both of those questions, uh, at at least in part, deal with the same verse. Um, Here's the first one. And this question is from Christine from her email inbox. And she says, is the reference to priests serving God and reigning on earth in Revelation chapter 5, Verse 10, the same to the reference to those in Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. And then here are the the passage of Scripture. Revelation 5.10 says, You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Revelation 20, verse 4, chapter 20, verse 4 says, I saw thrones on which those... Uh, on which were seated those who had been given the authority to judge. And the other question, I'll read it at the same time. This one is from Kirby. And uh, here's the question. In Revelation 24, where it says, I saw thrones in which those seated, uh, on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. I heard a pastor say that the authority to judge may also be the ability to judge angels. He reference 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 
versus blue and three. And um, she wants to know if that is correct. Um, that hasn't happened before. We get the same Bible verses uh, on the same day questions right back to back. Um, to, to understand Revelation chapter 5, uh, verse 10, um, we need to remember that these are... Um, let me get there first. It says, He, this is Jesus, came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the throne. I went back a couple of verses because we, we have to identify who the 24 elders are. Now you remember, when the Lamb took the scroll from his father, um, that's when the worshiping in heaven begins. And the elders, they represent believers throughout the ages. The 24, there, there were separate thrones. And they were elders, 12 patriarchs, and then, then the, the apostles of Jesus. But, but this is a representation. And they represent believers throughout the age. And they fall down in gratitude, uh, in, in awe of God. Uh, in, a, in a filial fear of God, and they worship. Uh, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now, um, when we get down to verse 10, um, um, I'm, wait a minute, this is chapter 20. Let me get to the other chapter. Hold on. When you can't see, sometimes doing things electronically are difficult. So the answer to the question is, yes, these are um, believers. Um, They are not only believers, but they are um, believers who uh, are in heaven. They sing a new song. It's a song only uh, the raptured saints sing. uh, can sing, and it is a song that um, is going to be one that we need to learn because we're going to be there. So this is simply uh, a passage of scripture that indicates um, what our responsibility is, at least partially, what our responsibility in heaven is going to be. Um, this song um is a proof text, by the way, of the the rapture of the church, the pre-tribulation rapture of the church, because uh, nobody but raptured saints uh, can sing that song. And they sing of being redeemed by the blood of this slain lamb, that, that, that it is us symbolically through the 24 elders um, singing. Uh, is is an indication they're not just Jews or they're not Jews. They're, they're taken from every tribe and nation and people and language. Um, these are Christians, converted Jews, but also the Gentiles who would come in. It's also um, um, that they are kings and priests. We are a royal priesthood, uh, the New Testament says. And no king was ever permitted to be a priest in the Old Testament, and no priest was permitted to be a king until this very moment. And that's why Peter says that we are a royal priesthood, and we are going to rule and reign with Jesus um, we're in heaven before chapter 6 starts in the book of Revelation. And um, because they're counted worthy to escape the great tribulation, obviously that means uh, they're going to be really, really grateful to God. And this is going to be a song of worship that is truly uh, a song of um, just wonderful um wonderful gratitude on all of our parts. So I, I hope that makes sense to you guys. Uh, it, it is true that um, we will be, Jesus said, judging angels. Uh, whether or not that is a connection uh, is something that is uncertain. We don't have any of that. But it is true that we are going to judge angels according to Jesus. And that would be at the very end when those uh, fallen angels are going to be judged and sentenced uh, sentenced to eternity uh, in the lake of fire. And that's where they will be forever and ever 
and ever. So hope that makes sense to you. Thank you very, very much for the question. Here is the next question. It's from Kenneth. And this is the one I was going to, I started to do yesterday and I thought, oh, I can't do it in two minutes. So this is sort of a revisited question from last, uh, from yesterday's program. Kenneth says, when I first got saved, all I thought about was Jesus and serving him. Now, after a couple of years, I don't feel the same level of emotion. How can I get it back? Now, I explained this yesterday, Kenneth, but very briefly, I want to try to encourage everybody, don't make emotion the, the, the sort of the source of our, our willingness to serve. Um, I, I'm not a fan of what I call goosebump Christianity. You know, if everything's going well and we get goosebumps, um, you know, then we'll serve the Lord. Uh, but, but you see, at, at the beginning, I think that emotion is really important. Uh, we're grateful, we're pleased, we can feel the presence of the Lord. It's, it's so thick, it's in that, that kind of place where um, all we really want to do is, is be with Him all the time. Uh, I think part of the part of growing up, and this is the part of the question, Kenneth, that I couldn't get to yesterday. I think part of our uh, maturing process in Christ is learning to be as committed to him in the lack of emotions or in the absence of emotions as we are uh, when we are all emotional. Again, it's easy to serve him when, when we're emotional. Uh, I know people that during worship, tears will pour down their face and yet their, their walk with God is up and down, hot and cold. Uh, I, I think, Kenneth, at some point the Lord is teaching us to walk not by faith, or I'm sorry, not by sight or by feelings, but instead walk by what we know. What we've been told in the Word of God is true. And we've been told that Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. We've been told repeatedly how much He loves us. We've been told repeatedly in the pages of Scripture exactly what He's done for us. And I think the Holy Spirit, when he tries to grow us up, he's trying to get us to understand that um, in, in all kinds of, of different times and experiences in our walk. You know, there are days, I'm 30 years next month saved, and there are days when I feel very, very emotional. There are other days when, and I'm not a really emotional person in this sense, there are other days when I feel no emotions at all, but, but, but my commitment to serving him my commitment to being grateful to him, my commitment to prayer, my commitment to studying his word, none of that can change based on how we feel. So all of that to say, Kenneth, if you can serve him with the same level of commitment regardless of the emotions that aren't as they were when you first got saved, that's a sign that you're growing in your faith. Jesus didn't walk by emotion. He walked according to what his father told him to do. Jesus, when he was going to the cross, he said his face is flint. Uh, it's something he didn't want to do. He asked his father three times in the Garden of Gethsemane if this cup could pass. But nonetheless, he was committed to doing it. Jesus repeatedly um, scolded the people following him saying an evil and adulterous generation seeks after signs and wonders. But you see, they wanted the excitement. They wanted Jesus for what he could do. As we grow up, Kenneth, as we mature in our faith, we need to want Jesus even more because of what he's already done. Now, one final thought here about emotions. Uh, I wish I had goosebumps all the time. I really do, but that's not real life. Emotions are a benefit. Emotions are a blessing. Uh, God made us emotional people. At the same time, I think every one of us has learned that we can't rely on our emotions. They're very unreliable. They're very unpredictable. And the truth is, if we're led by emotion, then we are going to be what James calls double-minded men and women, unstable in all of our ways. So, Kenneth, I think that's the, the thing to consider. Don't try to get the emotion back. You serve Jesus. You stay committed to him regardless of how you feel, regardless of what's going on, um, regardless of whether it's fun and easy or maybe sometimes it's just a real grind. 
And the truth is, it is a grind in this world that we live in. And I think it's going to be even more so uh, as we head into this new phase of government that we've got coming in. That leads to the next question that I have, and this is from Megan. She says, is Joe Biden God's choice to lead our country? Megan, God doesn't vote. Um, You know, when Donald Trump was our president, he still is for another week. Hopefully, I guess. But um, um, we had people call this program all the time say, well, well, Donald Trump is God's man. God wants us to vote for Donald Trump. Uh, the people that, that called this program with that point of view now have to call us back and say, well, Joe Biden is God's choice now. And, and then it would lead one to think, well, is God can't make up his mind. Is he a Republican one year and a Democrat the next year? So what I want you to do, and the point of going into that background is, I want you to stop associating God with the person occupying the office. When Romans says every authority is instituted by God, that doesn't mean the person, it just means the concept or the ID, idea of, of authority. Um, we are to, to submit to the governing authority. And when we submit to the governing authorities, we do it whether it's uh, uh, the, the man we voted for, the man we didn't vote for, who's in the office. So no, Joe Biden is not God's choice to lead our country. And in spite of that, what we've got to understand is our responsibility is to treat him with respect and with dignity, respecting the office as Christians ought then to do. And this, Megan, is one of the places that we have failed miserably. Um, We were too effusive, perhaps, in our praise for Donald Trump, and we're certainly over the top in our criticism of everything that comes from the left side of the aisle. Um, I, I can't believe the difficulty that Joe Biden is about to walk into. And he is a man who is older. Um, he seems to be um, having trouble with remembering things. Um, this is going to be an unbelievable amount of pressure and stress. And we need to pray for him. And most of all, Megan, most of all, we need to understand that we need to pray for our politicians, all of them to be safe. God's not going to deal with the United States of America as a whole. God is going to deal with individual people all over the world. And in these last days, his attention has been given to saving individuals in the caves during the Great Tribulation. Tribulation. Having trouble with my mouth today. Um... We're going to see 100-pound hailstones falling and and people fleeing to the caves. And what it says there is the great and small alike are going to find themselves in those caves hiding from the wrath of God. They're going to know it's the wrath of the Lamb and they're hiding. Can you imagine sitting in a cave? 100-pound hailstones pouring down from heaven, destroying everything. And you hit a light, a match, a lighter or something, and look at the person next to you and you recognize he's a senator from your state or the president of a country or the president of a Fortune 500 company. See, the only thing that matters in that circumstance is whether or not you know and are known by Jesus. So, Megan... um, I think we're coming upon a time when uh, our world, our country, that's what I mean by our world, our world is getting worse too, but specifically your question was for our our country. I think we're coming to a time when things are going to be much more um, oppressive to Christians. I think decisions are going to come down that are going to limit what can be said. Already, our free speech is being censored. Um, 
what I do for a living, I think in the near future, is going to be considered hate speech. Um, and yet, because God loves them all, we got to keep sharing Jesus with them. And we got to be prepared. We got to be prepared. Thank you for the question, Megan. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Dale. He said, Pastor Ron, will you talk about being baptized in the Holy Spirit and its role in daily life? You know, Dale, uh, if you've been listening to this program, I, I usually refer to this as, as just being with Jesus. It's the same thing. If you're with Jesus, you are walking in the power of God. And being baptized in the Holy Spirit simply means that you're walking in the fullness of the power of God. It's triggered, Acts 5.32 says, by our obedience. Um, but this is perhaps the single most important thing that any one of us needs to remember and practice every single day of our lives. You know, tomorrow, except for the radio program, tomorrow is uh, mine and Paula's day off. Um, it'd be easy just to hang around with pretty Paula and, and, and do nothing. Let's just chill out. Let's, but, but see, it's not about that for us. I want to be nicer to her. I want to be more loving toward her than anybody else in the world. So I need to get up tomorrow morning and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, I want to be kind when if we run into anybody who needs to hear about Jesus. I've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is just something, Dale, that, that has to be a part of our everyday life. And we simply cannot be baptized in the Holy Spirit that, that is with power from heaven if we're not being obedient, if we're not living surrendered lives. And I think, I, I ought to say, Dale, I fear that too many Christians have this idea that we can sort of keep part of our lives for ourselves and still be uh, have God's power available to us when in fact the only way to be filled with the power of God is that we got to be completely empty of us. That means we've got to examine ourselves daily, as the Apostle Paul says. It means that we've got to, got to repent of our sins. If you confess your sins, he will be faithful and just to forgive you and purify you from all unrighteousness. That means we've got to keep short account with our sins. It means we've got to be aware of the presence of Jesus in everything that we do. It means that we can't expect to use filthy language and still have God's power available to us. It simply doesn't work that way. It means, Dale, that we've got to be committed to holiness. We've got to do the best we can, and when we fail, then we've got to say, Lord, I'm sorry, fill me afresh again. And it's the one thing that we need to do. Dale, this may sound silly to you, but I, I've always imagined of the, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, that the Holy Spirit has the single most difficult job of all. Remember, um, all three persons of the Godhead are persons. They're God, but they're persons. Like Jesus was God, he was a man. Well, the same thing is true. The Father um, has emotions. The Father loves us. He gets angry, righteously so, obviously. But the idea I'm, I'm, I'm leading to here is that the Holy Spirit, with all of the power of heaven, he can be quenched Another translation says grieve. He can be grieved when we're disobedient. Think about that. The God who wants to move mountains, I'm talking about metaphorical mountains, the big problems in your life out of the way, uh, the God who equips you and gives you gifts to do wonderful things with, and all you have to do is be with him. And the minute we walk away through disobedience, the minute we take something back from him, the minute we give in to temptation, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can quench the power. It's like we can choke out the power that we also desperately need every single day. So, Dale, I think every single one of us needs to be filled with the Spirit, know we need to be filled with the Spirit, Every minute of every day, the minute we think we can do something on our own, the minute we, we make a decision without checking in with the Lord, um, that's when we lose the source of power that raised Christ from the dead, that source of power that lives in us. 
And then we're kind of on our own. And I think the proof of our lives, I'll just make this personal, the proof of my life is that apart from the power of God, I can do nothing but evil. And yet when I'm being led by the Spirit and I'm empowered by the Spirit, then I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So it's really important. It's something we need every minute of every day. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left on our Wednesday show, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand on for life. We'll be back on the other side of the break. We'll see you in two minutes. If you have questions about the Bible, you can send them to Pastor Ron and he'll answer them on the air or reply directly to you. Email your questions to Pastor Ron KSLR at gmail.com. That's Pastor Ron KSLR at gmail.com. Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the show. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is an anonymous question. I think I'll give Paul a shot at this one on tomorrow's program as well. Um, the question says, can a wife be too submissive to her husband? I have a friend that I worry about. Um, the answer is, yeah, uh, she can be too submissive. Uh, if her submission to her husband defies obedience to God, then she is too um, submitted. Um, you know, I, I think sometimes there's a tendency to make your spouse, male or female, um, sort of like a little idol. Uh, I think there are women who who have been um, made to be afraid of their husbands um, and and they lose their voice. Um, I think a husband who wants a wife without an opinion is a fool. Um, I will be talking a little bit about that tonight in my my Bible study. But, um, you know, men, we need our wives. We need their prayerful input. We always need their partnership. And if a wife is just going to sort of rubber stamp everything that you want to do, um, then then you're missing out on on perhaps the greatest tool that God has given you um, to, to follow Him day by day. So uh, a, a wife can be too submissive uh, if, in fact, that husband is asking you to do sinful things, unlawful things. Uh, we had a question yesterday about lying. If a husband asks the wife to lie and she does it, then she is misrepresenting Jesus. And if we misrepresent Jesus, then we are really in a bad way. So, Anonymous, that's the answer to your question. Paula might have some thoughts on it tomorrow. Here's a question from Nick. You know, I'm getting, I'm hopeful that we're, after, you know, the, the inauguration is a week from today. I'm hopeful that after that, we'll get past these questions. Nick says, Pastor Ron, I'm losing hope with the world. I was sure the election would turn out differently, but here we are. How can we move forward? Nick, the way you move forward, and you're not going to like this answer, but it is the only way to do it. You put politics in your rearview mirror. You put your opinions, your preferences in the rearview mirror, and you get up every day and follow Jesus. That's the only way we can move forward. And I'm going to tell you something, Nick, and you probably won't like this either, but but when your hope was in um, the president being reelected or a, a Republican Congress or Senate um, winning out, you weren't moving forward at all. I'm dealing with people all the time now who are asking me, um, well, what's next? Because they put all of their hope, like you, in the president being reelected. The problem was their focus was on the wrong Savior. Donald Trump is not a Savior. He's a sinner who needs Jesus. Joe Biden is a sinner who needs Jesus. You want to move forward, you pray for him. But you be respectful to him as the president of our United States. Because if you're not, then you really are on your own and you can't move forward there at all. Jesus will be with us. 
I said this on the program earlier this week, I think on Monday's program, Nick, that we are, in my opinion, heading into a time when it will be more fruitful to share Jesus in this world than any time I remember other than when revivals were going on, when the Spirit was just doing something unique, something special. I think the level of hopelessness is going to get to a point where people that have been disinterested in hearing anything you had to say about Jesus are going to want to hear now. And what we've got to show them, Nick, is that our Jesus is our king. Not a president, not a Republican party, but our Jesus is the king. And uh, I think it might be good for you, the people that you've been talking to, go back and and ask them for their forgiveness. Tell them, look, my hope was in the wrong thing. And um, uh, I'm telling you now, there's no hope but Jesus. And Nick, if you'll do that, along with repenting that you really believe that Donald Trump was going to be your savior, then you can move forward, but you can't do it any other way. I think we've got to get to that place where we say, look, didn't turn out the way we hoped, but you know God's in control. He knows the end from the beginning, and he's the one who gives us our marching orders. So I hope that makes sense to you. Nick, it's very important you take that counsel. Let's go to Cindy on line one. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, Cindy. I have a, um, I've kind of had a bee in my bonnet since you told us about that guy in the White House that uh, said that prayer, kind of (laughs) turning God into a he, she. And I want to read something in Proverbs. It's kind of a good chunk of Proverbs in Proverbs eight, twenty-two to thirty-one. It says, "The Lord brought me forth as the first of His works before His deeds of old. I was appointed from eternity, from the beginning, before the world began. There were no oceans; I was given birth when there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled in place." Before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the earth or its fields or any of the dust of the world, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the mountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundaries so the waters would not overstep his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was a craftsman by his side, and, and that that's where I was, um, oh yeah, I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world, and delighting in mankind. I, I wish I had a... You know, when when you when they used to do, remember when they used to do the sky writing? They don't do it anymore, but I'm sure, you know, when you were a kid, you remember seeing the sky writing from the planes. And I wish I could get that and, and just kind of get a plane to write it up there. So that's all I wanted to do was to read that one part because I've just been in a, in a uh, I don't know how to explain it, but not, not a happy camper when I heard about that prayer that that man did in the in the White House, so. I'll get off the phone now that I got to say what I wanted to say. I hope the weather's getting pleased. Oh, by the way, I saved you a snowball from when it snowed. One corner of our of our house had enough snow in it that I, I saved a snowball and I put it in the freezer for you. <laughs> Gee, Bye. you know you know how much I love cold weather. Tongue Way firmly planted in cheek. So, <laughs> thank you, Cindy. You know, um, Solomon. Uh, you know, Solomon didn't know about Jesus. But this is a psalm that talks about wisdom. In the passage, or a proverb rather, that talks about wisdom. And the passage that she read, and um, um, she's talking, she was emphasizing his works or or brought me um, forth as the first of his works. Um, you know, this is wisdom and such a, a majestic, poetic statement because we know that wisdom is personified in our Jesus. So um, 
you know, when, when he's talking about these things, he was saying, look, I was there at the beginning. This is truly a Holy Spirit-filled uh, proverb. Um, Jesus simply establishing his his majesty, his power, his authority. Uh, I love verse 29 especially, uh, when he gave the sea its boundaries so the waters would not overstep his command. I like that. That gives us uh, hope. And, and, you know, all of the the heretical prayers of of deeply troubled people uh, aren't going to change all of that. And I think we need all of us to remember that. Um, too many people freaking out, Cindy, uh, about where this country's going. Um, you know, the Bible teaches that we sort of get the uh, leadership, the government that we deserve. And this is... Um, Frankly, um, I think what we deserve. We've we've allowed our nation to turn away from God. Um, we've stopped just ignoring him, but we've actually gone to opposing him. We're raising an entire generation of children to despise him. Those of us who are Christians, many of us are filled our lives with compromise and our lives are empty to the power of God. In other words, we talk a good game, but we don't live it. Very important um, that we remember who's on the throne. And again, I, I, I don't know how many of you in this audience have listened to the message that I gave Sunday at our church, but I've called for a week of repentance from, from Calvary Chapel. We Christians need to be ashamed of ourselves. Our hope was in the wrong thing. Our messages became political. Instead of teaching Jesus, crucified and risen from the dead, we're having town hall meetings. Our job is one thing, to give people Jesus. And we haven't done that, and the result is the people who come to churches are also looking for other sources of help, other sources of security. Not good. Thank you, Cindy. Andrew says, are rebaptisms biblical? Andrew, um, um, they're neither biblical nor unbiblical. Uh, we don't have any record of, of anybody being rebaptized um, in, in um, the pages of Scripture. Um, the call to be baptized is clear. Um, but but, but I, I think they're not unbiblical. That's two negatives, I realize that, but because uh, there are people, and I've I've baptized several people more than once, and I've had a lot of people who that I've baptized. I mean, dozens who've been baptized either as an infant or earlier in life when they made a commitment to to serve Jesus, but then didn't follow through with that commitment. So I think it is appropriate, not biblical or unbiblical, but appropriate when somebody has walked away from the Lord, when their flesh has sort of been resurrected from dead to, to living, uh, I think it's appropriate when they make things right with God and they want to make another public statement. Uh, I think that's perfectly fine. I think it pleases the Lord. But uh, rebaptisms, as I said, are neither biblical nor unbiblical. Uh, and I think there are times when they're appropriate. Are they necessary? Uh, I would say, Andrew, the only time that they're really necessary, um, the only times that they're really necessary uh, is uh, when when people didn't have the ability to make the choice of their own free will. You know, if somebody made it, got baptized as an adult, they did it because they wanted to, then they walked away from Jesus for a long time, uh, repentance, confession, uh, solves the problem. You don't have to get rebaptized. However, uh, when somebody was baptized as an infant um, or um, a child younger than than being able to to make the decision on their own, then I think everybody needs to be baptized after having made the decision based on what God has done for them to commit their lives publicly to. Um, to, to the Lord. So I hope that answers your question. Let's go to line one and talk with Becky from San Antonio. Becky, thanks for calling. You're on the air. 
Um, okay. You were talking about you were talking about that um, that we're supposed to follow our leaders, and um, so whatever the leaders do, we're supposed to follow. But what about in the case of the lead, the, the the group that's going to be the leaders of our country, and the and the policies that they support, and the way they're going to spend their taxes because they've already said so, go against what the Bible teaches. For, for example. Uh, Yes. Yeah. Good. Good question. And uh, I, 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 I should probably have said something about that. So I apologize, but I've, I've made that comment so many times on this program, Becky. Um, we support our government. We're, we're not to support them. Um, we can disagree. We live in a, a country where we have the freedom uh, of speech, supposedly. Um, but but we we're to obey our leaders unless and until they demand that we do something that is contrary to what God has already uh, commanded us to do. Uh, for example, if the government were ever to make uh, you, Becky, to get an abortion, uh, you would have to stand up and say, no, uh, I cannot sin against God and do that. So that is civil disobedience, but it's it's also honoring to the Lord. So we, we only support our government um, or obey our government when, in fact, they're not telling us what we can do. Now, this question of taxes and abortion, 65 million children have been murdered. 65 million children have been murdered, and now it's going to get exponentially worse. Uh, there's nothing that we can do to support abortion. Unfortunately, um, we're still going to have to pay taxes because that's the law of the land. We do use the services that our taxes pay for. So the fact that there's something uh, that our tax is being used for that we don't support, we can't withhold taxes, for an example. But we have every right to speak out against abortion. We have every right to, uh, to, to prayerfully insist that abortion stops. Um, but we cannot support uh, a government's godless and willful rebellion against what we know to be right. So I think individually, Becca, we all get to that place where we say, okay, this I can't do uh, because this is what the Bible tells me to do. Let me give you an example, Becky, that, that we, we are currently dealing with in our country, and I've dealt with many times on this program. Um, our local government leaders, um, for the longest time, uh, have said that they don't want churches to meet. You can only have 10 people at the most, and, and uh, you know, the nonsense, and, and still... Uh, since March second, I think of last year of this of twenty twenty, um, churches are still closed. Many many churches are still closed and not meeting. Um, that is a violation of what we're told to do in the Word of God. We have made the choice here, Becky, to exercise civil civil disobedience. Now, gratefully, we're in a position because we have a governor who is both a Republican and a Christian. That's the most important part, and and um, uh, he has forbid local officials to legislate against church's ability to meet in violation of the Constitution of the United States. So we can support, um, um, we can obey our government at the same time we can express civil disobedience, and that's what we're doing. Becky, I have a friend, a casual friend. I'm not a good friend, but he's a pastor of a Calvary Chapel in San Jose, California, and he is amassing fines every day. Uh, up to this very moment, his fines are in excess of $1.5 million. He's a church of 700 people. They can never pay that. And the, the, the Supreme Court has ruled in favor of churches repeatedly on this issue. And yet the fines keep levying. And the time's going to come where they're going to shut him down. And, and, and that's going to be a, a, a huge, huge um, Supreme Court battle. So, um, who knows? Uh, you know, we had a Republican president for four years who appointed conservative justices who uh, support the Constitution of the United States. Maybe it was God in the background pulling the strings, making sure that his church in these last days is going to be sort of insulated from these attacks that are coming. But uh, 
you know, you can really hate what they're doing, but remember, Becky, you got to love the people. you got to pray for the people. They need Jesus. And if we didn't have Jesus, we'd be making just as... Uh, as many decisions that were egregious and, and, and in opposition to God. In fact, before we got saved, we probably did. I know I did, Becky. Uh, but we, we, we can't support them. We can't support abortion. We can't support um, uh, lawlessness. We can't support the, the kind of things that we watched happen in this country over the last year. Um, but we've got to obey our governors. And... This is the hardest part. I know my flesh, Becky, is probably a lot worse than yours. But we cannot speak ill. We can disagree with them, but we have to do it respectfully. We cannot speak ill of our president, our vice president, um, our new senators and congressional majorities. Um, we've got to respect them, our local leaders, our local authorities. We can't speak ill of them no matter what they do, no matter how they speak of us. We represent a higher standard because we follow Jesus. So, Becky, um, abortion is a sin that people are going to answer for. And uh, I don't know, I simply don't know um, how they're going to stand before the Lord on that day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess. We've got to be content that justice will be served. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Um, Here is a question from Danny. He says, I couldn't answer this question posed to me by another. If we cannot lose our salvation, why is there a list of sins that say we will not inherit the kingdom of God? Danny, that is really a great question. And I refer to Galatians chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 6 often uh, because uh, Paul could not be more clear. People who live those lifestyles will not inherit the kingdom of God. Not people that occasionally sin and then feel terrible and repent, but, but whose lives are characterized by those kinds of lifestyles. Um, those people are not real Christians. Now, they may say they are. They may have been baptized. They may have answered um, an altar call sometime. They may have even served God faithfully or fruitfully for a short period of time. But the difference here is real believers versus those who are professing believers or pretend believers. And just because somebody says they're a Christian doesn't mean they are. If somebody comes in to our church and they're living with somebody they're not married to in a sexual relationship, um, um, we show them these passages of Scripture and say, um, look, you say you're a Christian, but, but Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that real Christians can't live like this. The Apostle John says, uh, how can we say we love God and can keep on sinning? If we keep on sinning, that then we're a liar. The truth isn't in us. So the the answer to your question, Danny, is real believers versus professing or pretend believers. We're not able to judge. Our job is simply to tell people um, who are living those lifestyles that they are putting themselves in mortal, eternal danger. That's really important. I am a huge believer, a grateful believer in um, the security of the believer. You can't lose what God gave you to you freely. Uh, you can't forfeit what he guaranteed. Um, but the truth of the matter is there's a whole bunch of people who say they're believers who are living a lot like unbelievers. And I think in the end, we're going to find out there's a whole bunch of people, Danny, that weren't really saved at all. I believe that Half of the people sitting in churches every Sunday are not real believers because they just don't care. They're going to church. They're satisfying their guilt. Uh, They know it's the right thing to do. Um, But, you know, if you don't let the Word of God change you, if the Holy Spirit lives in a real believer and the Holy Spirit is preaching to you through the Word of God and you have no intention of being obedient to what the Spirit of God is saying to you, how can we claim to be a believer? If we say we're saved, but we continue to sin, the truth is not in us. That's what John says in 
He's supposedly the apostle of love. I've got, well, here's a related question. This will be the last one that we get today. This is from Gloria. She said, Pastor Ron, what is your view of LGBT Christians? Gloria, the same thing is true, just what I said uh, to to uh, our last question. Um, you know, they can claim to be Christians all they want, but but a real Christian has to agree with Christ. That, I hope, is the most obvious thing that I've said on this program. And if you say, well, I'm gay, or I'm lesbian, or I'm, I'm bisexual, or I'm transgender, but I'm a Christian, they don't have the right Jesus. And if you don't have the right Jesus, you are not a Christian at all. So there certainly are Christians that have same-sex attraction. There are Christians that have gender dysphoria or confusion. But if they're real Christians, the Holy Spirit is the one who straightens things out. Hope that helps. Thank you, Gloria. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Paula will be live in studio with me tomorrow on the Date Day Edition of the show. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'll see you tomorrow at 4 o'clock. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.